I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Richard Burns. I'm a Manchester City fan. Um, I can be found on Twitter at Richard Burns. Uh, I write for Typical City at typicalcity.org, um, and I write two articles a week for Yahoo Sport UK. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits and I write for EPLindex.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss <laughs> what's been happening at our clubs this week. Richard, after a period of not terrific form, you get a big win in the Premier League, a 2-2 draw with the positive and away goals uh, midweek. You must be feeling somewhat better about yourself. It's so nice to be able to come on here and not moan because since about December, that's all I've ever done. Um, and it's nice to be able to come on and say nice things about Mr. Pellegrini um, and about the team. The uh, the win at Bournemouth was um, extremely impressive. One of the, the things that I was concerned about uh, ahead of that game was not only the City's, um, City's poor form throughout March um, when we only scored four goals um, and all four of those came in the second half against Aston Villa, which is the easiest thing to do in the Premier League at the moment. Um, Aston our, the world. Yeah. Um, so our, our form was worrying in itself and Bournemouth had won three out of four games prior to playing us. Um, and my thinking and a lot of other City fans thinking was that Bournemouth would be um, cliched at this stage of the season, but would be dangerous by virtue of pretty much being safe uh, from relegation, very little pressure, City still being something of a scalp to them. Um, we thought that might change the, uh, not change the way they played, but um, spur them on to, to what a lot of people would have seen as a shock result. Um, as it happened, the return of Kevin De Bruyne just lifted everything about the team. Um it's rare that we've started a game that well. One of the things that I've said to the point that I've, I've bored myself um, but over the last couple of seasons is City have a real problem with wrestling momentum back once a game starts to go against them. If we start well and, and don't take advantage of it, don't capitalise, once the other team has that, um, it's inevitable in most games that a team is going to fashion a chance. That's the level of football that we're at. Um, and once that starts to happen, City are unable to reverse that. It's been a problem for, for quite a while. Um, and they just completely mitigated against that against Bournemouth by starting fast, putting the game essentially to bed within 18 minutes, I think it was, when we scored the third goal. Um, and then they were essentially able to, um, with, with all due respect to Bournemouth, but the way the game had gone, they were able to pretty much take it easy, um, controlling the game, but whilst accepting the result for what it was, not having to push too hard, um, because obviously they had the PSG game in mind. It meant that we were able to take three key players off. De Bruyne got, I think it was 55 minutes of football, 
after two months out, that was vital. Um, he was really, I think, the the standout of the match to have, to have missed two full months. Um, sort of the, the by definition of that, you 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 can't be match fit on your return, uh, and yet he ran the game. His performance had a knock-on effect for the likes of Silva and Aguero. Silva's had a pretty poor season, but by virtue of having De Bruyne there, Bournemouth can't keep two creative players out of the game. You can't really double up on both of them. Um, And so that obviously is one of them free. And um, obviously Aguero in front of them, waiting for the the creative passes um, and the the through balls and, and all that kind of thing obviously gets the knock-on benefit of that. Jesus Navas had one of his better performances of late. Um, his setup for the third goal was fantastic as well. He deserves a mention for that because he gets a lot of criticism for his crossing. Um, but the way he got the ball in for the third goal, right off the touchline when the ball was overhit to him uh, and to land it on Aguero's head was uh, was, was pretty spectacular. Um, but it was just a, a fantastic team performance. The Bournemouth created one chance that was well saved by uh, Caballero, who was in uh, while Joe Hart was injured putting a, a perfectly acceptable display, didn't have a whole lot to do, but what he did, he did as well as he could have done it. Um, and it was nice to keep a clean sheet because they've been a bit too rare too. Um, against a team who've got some scalps this season, you know, they, they beat Chelsea. Granted, it was at a time when, when Chelsea were in quite a lot of turmoil, but it was still a, a result for uh, for Bournemouth to crow about. Um, and they beat Manchester United. Obviously, we are um, as much as... I don't think we like to admit it. We're a team of very similar quality to Manchester United at the moment. Um, so Bournemouth, Bournemouth would have fancied the chance of doing a similar thing and City were very impressive. Um, the PSG game is obviously the real talking point of the week. It's historic for City to be in a Champions League quarter-final. We've never been this far before. PSG are a very, very good side. They've got... Um, they've proven themselves to be relatively adept at, um, at two-legged football. I think the the way that they managed the Chelsea tie in the last 16 proved that they've perhaps got more of a handle on two-legged European football than City have proven themselves to have. Uh, and so we went into the game knowing that an away goal and a one-goal deficit, so a 2-1 defeat, essentially, would have been quite passable um, and that would have been something to build on in the return leg on Tuesday. And instead, we were able to come away with a very creditable two-all draw that we have to accept now um, moves us from being underdogs, as most people thought we were ahead of the first leg, to actually being favourites. And it will be a great test of Pellegrini and of the team of how they manage this two-legged tie because it's a pretty new position for us, this, in uh, in the Champions League, to be bringing a second leg back to our place that's still finely balanced but where we have the advantage. It's not something that we've had to do. We've either already been walloped by Barcelona in the last 16 or, as with this season, we've already put the tie to bed with the away win in Kiev. Um, So this is a new thing for us and it will be, just on that level, interesting to see how we deal with it. Um, It will give us room to be a bit cautious at the start of the game um, while still going still going for the goal, that's the only way that we can um, do justice to the result that we've already got. We have to try and score first. That will put a hell of a lot of pressure on PSG. Um, but we've got ourselves in a good position, and it was a good performance too. It wasn't a, a fluke result. The first goal was excellent uh, by De Bruyne. It was a fantastically weighted pass by Fernandinho that set him through. Um, if it wasn't for Fernando and his outrageous mistake to bang the ball into Ibrahimovic's foot when there was no danger um, and allow the equaliser. 
who knows what might have happened if we'd have taken a one 0 lead into half time we might be I might be able to be talking about City having an even better advantage ahead of the second leg um, so it was an unacceptable mistake a player playing at that level uh, it, you can't really shrug it off as these things happen it Do was a ridiculous put any of the blame on Joe Hart who had other options that weren't as closely marked by Ibrahimovic uh, um, personally, no. Um, and I'll be honest, I was, I was surprised to see a few people doing that yesterday. Um, and when I look back at it, like Fernando has, I think he has like quite a lot of time and options to make. And it's, it's his dilly dallying that, that fashions the mistake. Like, I don't think Joe Hart has any reason to look at that and think that Fernando's under pressure. Mm. Um, and as soon as he he realises that Ibrahimovic might be a bit too close for comfort. He starts trying to um, communicate with Fernando, as he should do, and, and tell him which way, to, uh, which way to pass to avert the danger. And he's just... It's Fernando, to me, who is completely unaware of what's around him. And I find that more... If there's anything on Joe Hart, I, I still find Fernando's mistake far more criminal um, and unacceptable at that level because what... You know, if if Joe Hart was at fault, Fernando still had all the time in the world, you know, relatively, to to actually deal with it and, and correct that error anyway. So I personally didn't see it as Joe Hart's mistake. Um, but if he is at fault, then it's a, a very small uh, a very small ratio of, of that mistake compared to Fernando's part in it. But from going two one behind. Um, City were impressive, and it was a slightly fortuitous goal that we equalised with. Um, but it's a we deserved it. I think a draw was a very fair result, um, and it just puts us in such a strong position uh, for the second leg. We've got a real chance of making the semi-final now, which would genuinely be uh, be historic for for City. We've, it's what we aspire to. Um, this clash with PSG was essentially two of the the big pretenders in in Europe at the moment, actually trying to make a mark and prove themselves. Nobody remembers beaten quarter finalists, um, but once you're into the last four, you are dining at, at the top table. Then, and we have a real, real chance of doing that. Yeah, and and to your benefit, um, players that aren't coming back with PSG: uh, Verratti, Pastore, and David Luiz, who picked up a pretty silly yellow card and arguably could have gotten another one but well, yeah. we don't need to get we don't need to get into that but missing those three has to give you even more confidence of course yeah you take um you know louise is sometimes a, a figure of fun isn't he quite a comical oh, uh, character pretty silly is probably the best way to describe david no, louise no sideshow but... bob is the best way to describe <laughs> david louise yeah but to be fair to him and to his credit he when he's on it, he's a good defender and he's always in the thick of things. He's, um, you know, no one could ever question his effort. He's, he's attempted, and incredibly um, mobile. Yeah, he's attempted moonwalk back heel to clear Fernandinho's pass through to De Bruyne for the first goal was something to see. He looked like he was slipping on ice. Um, but I, I don't really know physically how he achieved the sort of um, body twisting that he did upon himself, but he got himself in knots and that was hilarious. Um so yeah, obviously, if you take three key players out of any team, they're going to be weakened. We we see it when we lose company and Aguero. It doesn't matter what else you've got in reserve. The nature of taking your best players out is you have to be weakened. There's no way to mitigate against that, really. Um, it's just a, a natural state of removing your best footballers. You, um, so yeah, we'll be very encouraged by that. It certainly gives us... Uh, I think we'll give Pellegrini and the team 
even more incentive to go at PSG early. We can't rest on trying to get a draw and get through just on the away goals. Um, but we can afford to be a bit cautious and feel the game out as well. And certainly the injuries, suspensions are very welcome. Yeah, and uh, one of the funnier things I saw was that some Aston Villa fans were tweeting the, the snake emoji again as soon as Delph was on. I got, I got, I don't want it to be boring on this, right? I, I got um, my first ever experience of um, of Twitter abuse last night. Like, <laughs> I've been on Twitter since 2009, and the easiest way to guarantee yourself retweets is, as a City fan, is to tweet Delph and a snake emoji. So when he came on, I, I tweeted like... Um, Delph is now playing in a Champions League quarterfinal. Um, once again, his move from Aston Villa has proved to be unjustified. Something to that effect. <laughs> and like 10 snake emojis. And I expected nothing to come from it. And then my notifications went mad and I thought, uh-oh. And I got like genuine, um, quite personal. And it made me laugh. Like it, it was inventive and funny. But it was quite <laughs> personal abuse from a lot of Aston Villa fans. Um and then, and then one of them said that he hoped that the next flight I take gets bombed. And I thought that was possibly taking things a little bit too far. Yeah, um, it was nice to experience, albeit um, in a teacup, a slight Twitter storm last night. It was a, <laughs> my cherry pops in that regard. <laughs> hey, it means that you're uh, getting attention, which is always nice in the biz. <laughs> uh, and B, I'd be willing to go out on a limb and say that you lose fewer Premier League matches next year than they lose championship matches. So, further, further backing up, your Delph probably made the right move thing. And he's probably going to actually get minutes. You figure Torre is probably gone in the summer because he keeps saying he will be. Yeah. I don't think you keep both Fernands, assuming you keep Inyo over O. Yeah. It, it means there's a, a spot there in central midfield. You'll probably bring in one. Sounds like Gundogan is yeah. everybody's favorite, which we've talked about before. But there's no reason Delph can't be that kind of fifth option so he's been so good when he's played this season it's it's a real well, shame part of it um, is the players that he's coming on for it, it immediately makes well, him look better but he does have ability there's no doubting that yeah he's, he's controlled games when he's come on we've been um very very impressed by him it's just a shame that we've been a- unable to keep him fit but that has been the same of pretty much every one of our players this season yeah so no doubt, and we will return to talking about City in a little bit with my pseudo-topic during my making the rounds. <laughs> um, but up next we have Dan. Obviously, Arsenal showed up with a big result, 4-0 against Watford. It was their biggest defeat of the season. Um, the top 10 defense Watford have had, very impressive. Were you surprised by that result, and what do you think that kind of foretells for your season? I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be that easy, especially saying they just beat us in the FA Cup less than a month ago, but they really didn't turn up. Like, they just they weren't there, basically. It feels like for... them and Bournemouth both realized they were safe and kind of turned off the gas uh, a little bit. To be bit. fair, both them and Bournemouth have really terrible records against, top, against the top six this season mm-hmm. as well, so it's probably a bit they're not that good, and they're like, nah, we're good, we're safe, we really don't need to try here probably a bit of both but um yeah no we slaughtered them they were truly terrible and we were very good as well but uh four minutes in alexis sanchez scores off his own rebound and that was just once we got the early goal it was pretty safe to say we were gonna win but then we went and just we just turned it on we could have scored more um awobi scored a beautiful team goal uh near the end of the first half then, beginning of the second half, Hector Bellerin scored his first goal of the season off a deflection. Um, 
big deflection probably wouldn't have gone if it got on in if it hadn't been there. But I mean, that put the game to bed with still what was it, forty two minutes left in the game, and we were basically showboating at that point. Honestly, like Mesudozio played more no look passes or like stupid ridiculous touches than anyone does in a season. I mean, most people do in a season. Um, in fact, one point I can't remember who one of the Watford players just out of the blue just kicked him he just kicked him because he's like nah stop you're just being mean and i was just like nah i'm not gonna stop but um yeah it was really really easy phil walcott scored in the 90th minute to cap it off and just to make people who don't like him angry which was really funny because a lot of people are uh giving him a bit of hate this year because he hasn't finished very well but um it was a really weirdly easy game like that was probably the first time I've been relaxed at halftime in a game since probably United at home when we beat them 3-0. That's probably the last time I've been that relaxed at halftime. Um, yeah, it was really, really easy. Then for the week, we continue to be linked with Granite Xhaka of Borussia Mönchengladbach, which I'd be very happy about signing. Um, we don't have Champions League. Surely so you won't actually address the biggest need in your team. Surely not, surely. Uh, we never do that. But, um, yeah, Bishako, I'd be really, really happy with that signing. But, um, I think that's the only realistic transfer rumor. Um, you know, stuff gets thrown around Ebra all the time. I don't think we'll sign him, but I don't know, maybe. Um, who else? Oh, um, Wenger said he watches Dimitri Payet. He's watched Dimitri Payet in the past, you know, like he says for every player. But, and then people were outraged because, you know, it's a real shocker that he watched a top three team in the league of his birth and one of the five major leagues in Europe, but hey, whatever. Um, uh, what else has happened? Oh, um, Aaron Ramsey will be back in the squad this weekend, as will to everyone's chagrin except all other 19 Premier League teams, Matthew Flamini. Um, uh, Jack Wilshire will be playing the under-21s tomorrow, as will Thomas Rizicki, but it's not like they ever actually play football anymore. And um, yeah, we actually only have two people who are like, hurt, hurt right now, which is the healthiest we've been in a very long time. Yeah, um, an interesting thing that is, has been developing is, obviously Giroud has been getting less playing time. Um, some fun stats, <laughs> maybe not so fun for you. We knew that Giroud and Alexis had difficulties playing together. Everybody knew that. But even the staunchest Giroud hater, who might be me, but there might be others, um, he's failed to score since Alexis Sanchez came back from his injury. Averaging barely one shot on target per game. Now Welbeck's been getting a chance. Walcott scores last week. What What is the future at that position for you? Is, is it lying outside the club? We mentioned before, it's hard to bring in a higher profile striker, but... Um, I don't have a clue, to be honest, if it lies outside. I, I don't have a clue. Oh, that's it hasn't been coming up recently, but a couple weeks ago we were linked to Murata, where it would be this intricate... The fact that it's so intricate makes it a bit questionable, but Demacio did report it, that we could get Murata because Real have a buyback clause that they would use for, I think it was 35 million euros, and then we would buy him from Madrid for like 50 million euros or something like that. It's That does sound complicated. <laughs> it sounds very complicated, which sounds ridiculous, but then, again, but then Demacio goes and says like, oh yeah, this could... He said there was interest and that if it was going to happen, that's how it would happen. 
Mm. So take that with say, take that with. So what that's you literally what Twitter did. Is it took that and it was like two plus two? Oh Hi, no, he, it, it was actually someone else reported before him. Then Twitter went ah, and then he was like, no, yeah, if this is going to happen, this is how it's going to happen, and yeah. there is interest. But um, yeah, he wasn't his accuracy on stories he reports is it's bonkers, ridiculous. Yeah, but um, um, which is why Mourinho's probably at United next year, and that's why I'm so. Oh, this is interesting. This is a really interesting one because a couple high-profile Dutch reporters, I know, that's, have come that... out and said that Van Gaal staying, and so it's basically a reputation war, and somebody's going to take a tumble. That's that's going to be that's going to be, be quite really fun. As a person whose name is not attached to either side of this story, it will be very entertaining to watch. If I was close friends with either of them, I would be terrified. <laughs> as a person who let, as a person who wants Jose Mourinho nowhere near the Premier League, I hope the Dutch people are right. But as someone who actually likes to know someone who or know of someone who is one hundred percent on transfers, I want Demarcia's reputation to stay intact. So I yeah. really, it's. It's a no-win situation here. And to be fair, but, both um, groups have agendas on this story. Not only do they want to be the first to it, but both are pretty closely aligned with the manager that they're touting for the job. I don't know. Yep. The interesting one the interesting one I saw was Van Gaal to stay and then Mourinho to Atleti. Or not Atleti, sorry, to uh, Valencia, where he already knows their ownership group and all that stuff, which would be... Something. That'd be, it'd be interesting. I think I speak for all Premier League fans where we say another year of Bengal at United would be welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, well, but oh, I guess the moral of the story is you're not fine with Welbeck or Giroud being your best forward next year, correct? Um, Welbeck actually has looked very good since coming back. I have never really been a big Welbeck stan since I didn't think he was that good at United. I never thought he was that good last season, but he's looked good so far. Um, we benefit, It it may be... It, it's not just Welbeck. The fact that we have changed to a midfield of um, Mohamed Elneny and Francis Coughlin has given us some amount of stability in ball playing back there because Elneny can actually play with the ball at his feet unlike Coughlin and actually holds his position unlike Ramsey. Mm. So it's given us a bit of control in games as well as the fact that we now have a front four of Welbeck, Ozil, Alexis, and Iwobi. They can all interchange positions and we've looked a lot better since we've been able to do that. And the one thing that I have always rated about Welbeck is he's a very good presser, which he's that's been a theme of our play the last two or three matches. We've defended from the front more, and he's looked better than Giroud has in the last couple of months. I still think Giroud's a better player, but I could understand where Welbeck could be a better fit. Um, they're, I've always said it's very difficult to upgrade on Giroud, and I still believe it is. But, I just, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's very difficult. I have no idea where our striker situation's going. I really don't. Um, it's just it's just crazy problematic is that Alexis and Giroud don't play well together. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. He, I'm not sure. Do you, I don't all, do you, do you agree with it. that? The stats say it, but it, no, is yeah, the person the stats, that watches no, it. No, yeah, this has been a problem. We've known about it since last year. Yeah. Or, I think Tim, or Tim Stillman wrote a blog about it. I think it was last year. So that's always been in the back of my mind. I'm like, and like when you think about like, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, actually, if you think about it, Alexis doesn't had, didn't play well when Giroud came back from injury last year, and Giroud hasn't played well since Alexis came back from injury and was in and out of the side when Alexis was fit earlier this year, and it just, yeah, it's it's mm. a problem. Maybe you just do split squad next season. Instead of trying to play however many of your best 11 you feel comfortable starting in both Premier League and Champions League, Maybe you do something where you play Welbeck, who can play well in the Premier League. We've seen it before. Some people that may or may not be the host of the show may or may not have said he was the next Sturridge. Um, <laughs> play him in the Premier League and then play Giroud without Alexis in the Champions League. I don't know. Just a, just a theory. 
from somebody that doesn't no actually want to see both of them play well. It's going to go. Um, yeah, I have no idea, really. Fair enough. This just in, Arsenal need to strengthen it forward. Um, <laughs> breaking it's just in, here. defense midfield is still most important. Is still the thing they need to. Yeah, but it's not what you'll address. Also, uh, uh, the, the Liverpool... let me have my hope, Kevin. Yeah, I was on the Liverpool pod and they were talking about how excited they are about signing Gotza, and I was like, "Is this just what clubs do now?" Because City did it with De Bruyne, where they already had Silva. They were like, "We have some money to spend. Let's go get another one of these." Arsenal did it. You already had Casorla, then you were like, let's get Otzil, well, then you were like, let's get Alexis. Liverpool already have Coutinho, then they bought Firmino, and now probably going to get Gutza. Just, come on, man. There, there are so many more pressing needs. Whatever. I'm, I'm not going to win any. We need to decide Ozil that season. I know, and, and De Bruyne, we just heard Richard say, has been massive for their yeah, recent return around. Who was the other one you said? Gutza um, for Liverpool. Oh, okay, yeah, good. I still don't think that's going to happen, but hey. Yeah, it'll it'll definitely be an interesting summer, that's It'd for sure. And it always yeah. is coming into and out of the Euros. Uh, like, Tottenham probably going to be in the Champions League, but we need to do like we did with Modric. We signed him going into the Euros, and then he did really well in the Euros, and everyone was like, we should yeah. sign that Modric guy. <laughs> People were like, but, oh, no, right. That already... If that's what, um, who's Jaka? Actually, that's the thing. We're like, yeah. we should get this done before the Euros, because he's going to be there, and he's going to be important for Switzerland, and yeah. Yeah. That's that's the same situation with us and Witzel. I, I think we can get him for 15 or less before the Euros. And, and if anyone automatically if anyone wants Michi, they should get him. So oh, that's who I, yeah. Plays. I Although, no play, well, but... they do play two up front a fair bit. Yeah, if, and Benteke is... He's been crap. Um, yeah. By the way, I, I've gone on record with this. I think that one of Lukaku or Boney ends up at Tottenham next year. It just, uh, I think Lukaku's off to PSG. That'd be Oh, to replace that's Cavani, P- who's going to... That's wherever. what PSG should do. They're not stupid. They should sign Lukaku, but mm. I don't know. They might be stupid. They might be. Don't... Let's they not... might be stupid. They, <laughs> did, they did spend, like, $50 million on David Luiz. Let's so. not rule that out. They think Adrian Rabiot's worth $25 million, so... Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Although, he scored yesterday, so... His reputation is worth $25 million, but he hasn't actually been that great since no. he got to PSG. I'd just like to add my voice to the calls for Bonnie to Tottenham. That'd be great. Yeah. We did it with you before. We took out Mayor, cut how much you had to pay him. I know, but I will always... Um, yeah, I, I would back a, a similar thing. I would I would increase his wages paid by us for him to go to another club. <laughs> well, he's on 110. Our current wage structure is set at 100. So... It would be it would be interesting, but you'd assume for more playing time because basically what Tottenham need is a forward that we can f- play with confidence in either the Premier League or the Champions League because we keep getting linked to young forwards, which is really fun and exciting. But that's what we should have done this year. Next year we need people that are already established. Mm. <laughs> that's another issue, uh, but I guess it kind of ties in to uh, what I'm talking about, which is uh, contracts. We just talked there about the wages at Tottenham. Uh, I've mentioned, I don't know, maybe 50 times this season that we had a player that was up for a contract uh, because our new contract extension policy is to keep players on four years rolling. The names being linked most recently, Pochettino, Eriksson, Vertonghen, and Lamela. I would expect all of them to sign before next season begins. Vertonghen, because of his injury, I think is trapped with us. And by trapped with, I mean he has to stay at a club with two of his best friends. 
uh, Christian Eriksen is suffering from what Vertonghen su- suffered from two years ago, which was he was primed for a big move and then just didn't particularly live up to it. Like, for years, everybody was saying Eriksen was exactly the kind of player that Barcelona would have in the future. And he's he has been a very sound B-plus player for us. Um, has reached 10 assists for the first time in his Tottenham career this season, which I think would surprise many. But... Um, and he's up there in chances created. But, oh, um, he's well, yeah, he's like second 30, behind he's Ozil like by like 30. I'm thinking for, per 90. I think he's third per 90. Oh, per 90? Interesting. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, because Pyatt has those injuries, and probably West De Bruyne Ham is up there. Go and try and like, eat you if, yeah. they, if you don't mention Pye in any conversation <laughs> ever. <laughs> it's true. Um, but we have Della Ali, who apparently is better than Utzel, according to a chant we have. I can neither confirm nor deny that. I can deny. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, anyway, aside from that, Eric Lamella, Jan Vertonghen, and Clinton and G are all back in training. Uh, the first two of those probably likely to be available for selection on Sunday. Um, reports coming out that Daniel Levy is now the highest paid uh, head of a football club in England, which surprises me but a name that i haven't mentioned since i thought we could somehow hang on to gareth bale incorrectly by the way um is uh joe lewis who is in the top 50 richest people on this earth uh and so my thought was he wouldn't want to lose investment i forgot he just doesn't care so (laughs) he's just paying levy to care um and while a lot of spurs fans have given levy a lot of flack i i imagine that from an external perspective people probably respect what he's done a lot more, considering that we've kind of been in this fourth to sixth range for the better part of six, seven years now, and continually finish below that in the financial rankings. The, the fact that we're able to continually find players to step in, I, I think, is a feat. Ever since we made the Champions League, 60% of Spurs fans think that we deserve that every year, which we just don't. Um but but I do think what Levy has done is incredible. And the biggest thing that he's done for Tottenham is brought in Poch. And then the next biggest thing was trusting him and leaving him to make the final say on transfers. Lamela and Dembele were two players that were both on the way out this summer. Both of them we had firm offers for. And in Lamela's case, he had already discussed terms. And he was, was like already in Marseille or something. Yeah, and he yeah his, his agent had traveled like, ahead of him. And it came down to it, and the last call Levy made was to Poch, and Poch said no. And so we didn't, and now we've seen what he's done this year. It's starting to perform very well, particularly in the Europa League. We've always known that he would play better in continental competitions than in England, but he's improved greatly, and Dembele has randomly turned into the player we thought we were getting when we signed him from Fulham. So that's been tremendous. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. After the loss to West Ham and the draws to Arsenal and Liverpool, I'm fairly certain that we won't win the title. Um, but I decided to go back to my nifty table projection model that I started running when KDB got hurt. And that's De Bruyne. For those that don't like a Breeves. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> at the time, Rob, I think you were on when we were talking about this, I had City winning the league. Uh, and this was based on several factors, including win percentage, remaining fixtures, historical form, etc. And obviously that hasn't happened for City, who have struggled mightily since that point. Um whether or not you think it's because De Bruyne was injured, or if you think it has something to do with the Pep deal, uh, that is not what this is measuring. Um, but now, for the first time this season, it looks like City are outside of the top four in this projection. <laughs> Which, first of all, what would be your reaction to that? Well, before I finish that, in this is not included the fact that they have Champions League matches yet, or that that has pretty much been the goal since they won the season. Um, reaction to if we didn't get in the top four. Um, it, I don't know. Like it, it would obviously be. I mean, personally, and it's probably going to sound. Um, I don't know if this will sound a bit ridiculous. I could live with being out of the Champions League for a year. Like I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really miss it. But in terms of for the club. It would be uh, it would be dreadful because we know that we've got Guardiola for three years. He's unlikely to stay beyond that because he doesn't tend to. Um, so unless there's some kind of change in his whole uh, career ethos, um, we've got him for three years. And if we weren't to be in the Champions League next season, then we would have essentially wasted uh, a, a year that he could be doing what we're bringing him in to do. Obviously, it's to um, establish further um, further dominance in England. And I say further dominance, knowing obviously we, we've not dominated the league in the last two years, but in the time since we won the Premier League, um, the, since we first won the league in 2012, um, I think City have won more trophies domestically than any other side. So when I say dominance, I, I mean purely in those terms. Um, but to... to Further, our um, current status as England's most... Uh, it sounds daft to say, but in this current era, the most successful team. Um, but obviously, a, a huge part of his brief is to improve us in Europe um, and to sustain us um, as a good European team. Um, and obviously, if he comes in and we're not in Europe for the first year, then that sets us right back in that regard. It's not good for... Um, as much as I, I hate to talk of it, it's not good for the brand um, and the City football group as a whole that encompasses um, New York City FC and Melbourne FC, which I personally could not care less about if I tried. Um, but the in terms of what the club are trying to do, what the business is aimed at doing, um, being out of the Champions League would have a... Um, I was going to say devastated, and that's probably too strong, but it, it would have a significant impact on... Uh, on, on that kind of commercial side of things um, because you'd think that 
those kind of clubs are trying to associate the well they obviously naturally associated with city but um they will use city as the biggest club in the biggest league of any of those teams they will use city for a lot of their marketing and the fact that they're so tied in with city to sell their own brand um if city aren't in the champions league then that gets massively harmed um so i wouldn't miss european nights like a lot of people think um, I, I don't see them as these big magical nights that they get painted as. I think it's very clever commercialisation and, and marketing that has led to the Champions League being seen in that way. Um, but it would be a very um, it, it would be a bad thing for the club, unquestionably. Um, and it, I'm sure it would impress Pep coming in and knowing that he was missing a year of his career outside of it. Yeah, it would obviously be a disappointment, but um, if any club could financially sustain themselves yes. without Champions League money, you'd, you'd figure you'd be the one you'd favor for most able to kind of continue their current trend. Um, all right, uh, for the rest of the projection, for what it says now, for those that care, uh, Leicester would be league winners on 80 points, which again is historically low, but it's higher than what I had them on last time, mostly because I didn't expect them to win five out of six matches, one nil. And <laughs> I doubt that math did either. Uh, and then in second, to few people's surprise, North London Club on 74 points, beloved by Dan. That's right. <laughs> I've been betrayed by my own projection model <laughs> for Arsenal. Who have, Even your model loves Arsenal more. Does. <laughs> Arsenal performed very well down the stretch the last few years, which I think was a big factor in this. And they have the easiest run to the end of the season, facing just two top ten teams in their remaining seven fixtures. Uh, Tottenham fall into the third slot on 72 points, which could be of very significant consequence because... Based on current financial projections, which I did not do, so you can trust them, the team coming in second place this season will earn more than a million pounds more than Chelsea did last year for coming in first place. Around 16 million pounds will be awarded to who comes in second. Chelsea won 15. That is crazy. Uh, and then the the larger picture of this second versus third versus fourth thing is... Tottenham fans have grown so accustomed to debating on if we're still in the title race that we failed to look in the rear view where Arsenal sit just four games back with a game in hand. And as much as I want to finish above Arsenal, which is obviously a lot, my bigger concern is if we could fall out of the top three and the automatic qualification spot for next year's Champions League. I I think that if you're looking at what our goals are, the biggest is that, followed by finishing above Arsenal and the the difference that would make in London where the question has been, could Tottenham overtake Arsenal? It's been the same question for like the last five years. And the answer is always yes in March and no by the end of the year. Um, And then third is, can we win the title? I I know some people are still like, we could do it. No. Seven points (laughs) to six games. Mathematically, it's not going to happen. What what was uh, City's comeback? That was eight Uh, games. How many points were you back? No, in 2012, it was six games. It was eight points, six games. Oh. Um, but the thing that we had in our favour was that we still had to play that, yeah. that run as well. Mm. Um, oh, was that the company header? Yes. Yeah. Uh, in which, um, I'm sorry to be childish, but one of my favourite pictures ever in a derby is when <laughs> there's, a, there's a great picture of as company has risen for that header and it's sort of from behind the goal and everybody's watching it. Um, 
watching the ball head past De Gea um, and Rio Ferdinand has an incredibly gormless look on his face and then somebody pointed out um, by circling it that if you look towards his shorts region he was probably somewhat more excited than he wanted to let on <laughs> <laughs> like, like really evident um, so yeah I love that picture <laughs> basically celebrating celebrating the goal in his own in his own <laughs> nether's way <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but anyway, so that's my whole little group of insanity. Um, Dan, do you think that is likely that, that Arsenal pipped Tottenham to second, but still probably fall short of the title? That's what I'm thinking. I've kind of been refusing to say it because I'm superstitious. But yeah, no, that's what I've been thinking since. Um, so basically, I've just confirmed what both of you were were <laughs> not basically. wanting to have to say. Um, yeah, but um, <laughs> I think I think if we beat West Ham this weekend, then not definitely. But there's a very very good chance that'll be the case. If we drop points to them, then it's a bit more up in the air. But I still think we'd have a good shot. If you shot. beat West Ham, Man City, then the only top ten team you have remaining. Yeah, I know it's them and City, and then it's was it. What are Sunderland, the three Sunderland, Norwich, Sunderland away, Norwich at home, Villa at home. Oof. Um, that's on the last day. I'm trying to remember ones in between there. I can't. Whatever. They're easy games. <laughs> they should be easy games. Um, they should be easy games. See, uh, West Ham, Palace, West Brom, Sunderland, Palace, Norwich, yeah, City, Villa. Yeah, and I know Palace, West Brom, uh, Norwich, and Villa are all at home. So, yeah, yeah. Sunderland and City. Yeah, well, Sunderland, West City, Ham, Sunderland, West Ham and City are your away matches. Yeah. Oh man, Norwich and Villa at home. Man, you know what? I'm. <laughs> what if we end up level and you somehow catch us on point difference? Goal, what, on what, goal difference? What yeah. Is, what is that gap right that's now? That's what everyone's been saying. Like, I mean, we're ten behind you, but we do have Village, a Village, Village, Village. <laughs> <laughs> Aston Village. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, Village at home. So I mean, yeah, you could make up a fair amount of yeah, we could goals in those. We could go all Arsenal and just, well, we could go all Arsenal thirteen fourteen. Like go two goals up in t- inside twenty minutes and then just sit back for us the game. <laughs> yeah. But mm. hey, maybe we could go like Arsenal of a different year and go and win by like four. That'd be nice. That's fun. Yeah, you, you, he was not being hyperbolic. It is a 10-goal spread uh, in goal. Yeah, no, it's, 30, it's plus 32, 32 for you, for us, yeah. 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 Man, it's mm, it's getting nervy. I'm not enjoying it. We, I keep saying the Liverpool result was a fair one. We just really needed it to be a win. Yeah, that was, um, that was what popped me over, too. Yeah, I think we'll finish it above you, because if you beat Liverpool, that was probably the top four had been settled there, because I think City are getting it. Sorry, yeah. model. But if, if if you do straight, if you just do straight this season projection, it still had us above you by one point. But as soon as you add in the historical portions, then it tips in your favor pretty pretty handily, um, because that's that's what's happened in years past. Also, something not in there is the fact that it happens to be Newcastle that we're playing the last week, who not oh, only great. have ruined our last day of the season two out of the last three years, but. Um, could be fighting for their survival on the last day of the season, which could cause them to actually be arsed for the first time in 2015-16. So, <laughs> if they're not already down, but... Right, well, if they're down and we win it, then we're fine. But the concern is if they're still there or thereabouts... Because can, can we all agree that this Newcastle team is too talented to just be the second worst team in this league it should be yeah but it just isn't. well i didn't say are they good i said are they talented the talent yeah, is talented. there 
With Allen's there. Genie Fine Aldum, John Joe yeah. Shelby isn't bad, and Bemba's supposed to be decent. Mitrovic is good, Perez is good. Yep. It just Sissoko's just... good against teams. Sissoko is matter. good every once in a while. Yep. He's very good every once in a while. He's okay <laughs> for the majority of the time, then occasionally he just literally does not show up. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's it, they don't Man, yeah, that, that Norwich that. match. Also exciting, but deeply devastating for Newcastle. Deeply devastating. I was, uh... <laughs> and I've been, I've been saying I want Norwich to go down all season, but I want Sunderland to go down so much more, so now I have to start rooting for them after rooting against them the last, like, <laughs> ten weeks. Interesting. Uh, because if, I, Sunderland, I think... if Sunderland stay up, there is no justice in the world. I think... <laughs> <laughs> well, they will stay up again. I know. <laughs> Um, at least they have Defoe now, so at least there's, like, a reason. Before, there wasn't a reason that they stayed up. Like, Defoe scored 10 goals, whatever, fine. The problem I've had with Norwich all season is that Alex Neal has no idea what his best 11 is. With seven matches left. Six matches for Norwich? Uh, let me check that. Six out. matches. It's, it's so insane, the amount of rotation that goes on with Redmond and Houlihan and, uh... Brady playing every week. Probably, he is playing most weeks now. Who's? Oh man, I forgot the dude that I was so high on in fantasy earlier this season. And McConney? No, I mean yes. Who but, the, is he a better forward than Cameron, Cameron Jerome? Jerome yes, is a hilarious is. question. Yeah. That for some um, reason gets asked every week in Norwich and then gets answered in different ways, different weeks. It's, <laughs> it's either an McConney goal or Jerome missing is six sitters in a game. <laughs> It's it's real bad. Embakani, I I think is still top ten in headers one, and he plays like every three weeks. It's a very very silly situation happening over there. No, this isn't just stalling. So I can look up Johnny Housen, who I, who I liked a lot earlier this season. Um, all right. Uh, so now on to a much less fun, and more depressing topic. We we tried to avoid this at the weekend because. We just talked about betting in football, and we didn't want to just go through the seven deadly sins of footballers. But there have been reports coming out that there may be doping in football. There was the English doctor last week that was reported to have helped a whole bunch of clubs and individual players. He, of course, denies it. Then today, the Swedish doctor coming out and accusing Juventus of having a steroid culture targeting specifically Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Question for you guys. Do you think that there is a doping problem in football? And if so, how should it be dealt with? I, um, it's a really tough one to answer because anything that you hear um, and that gets, you know, gets reported in the press, like the, um, the doctor that was reported in England over the weekend uh, as, as having helped players at top clubs, um, it's obviously reported in such a way that um, absolves journalists of... Um, being charged under libel laws um, because if they report them as pure facts, um, even, you know, the, surely the journalist knows more than they actually write, but if they report them as pure facts without proof, um, certainly in this country they would um, they would find themselves in a, a lot of trouble. Um, so it's sometimes difficult to know exactly where the truth lies once the denials start coming out. Um, the story, if I'm honest, the story that broke in England ended up being it was previewed by um a couple of the journalists on twitter that, that um had been involved in it and when they previewed it it didn't prove um to be 
quite as exciting or and I mean that not in the um positive sense but you know it it didn't prove to have the absolute sort of wow what a story factor that it it quite looked like it was going to have it was obviously big but it seemed to to me at least lack a little bit of weight and credibility however yeah I I agree I didn't I wasn't that impressed however what I would say is human nature um, is such that people will, there will always be people who will look to circumvent the rules for their own advantage. Um, sport and football in particular has huge rewards for being able to do that. Um, I, and this is going to sound really wishy-washy thing to, to throw into this answer, as somebody who um, makes a, a pretty conscious effort through life to um, believe the best of situations and to see the best in people, it's quite a hard thing for me to sort of sit here and say, I believe that those factors that I've just mentioned mean that a doping culture in football is inevitable um, because I, I'd really love to believe that that isn't the case. Um but I'm also not naive enough to think that this has been proven in other sports um, and in other competitions and that football is somehow untouchable just because it's the sport that I love. Um, there are things that would greatly um, turn me off football. I mean, not, you know, obviously I, I could never stop loving it because it is what it is. But the things that would turn me off football would be, uh, or certainly the Premier League and, and my own club would be that I found out any of our success had been um, artificially um, gained, whether that be by match fixing, other scandals that we've seen in other sports or other countries within this sport, those kind of things. Like, I don't like it when we profit through a player um, simulating a foul. Like, if, if we score from a penalty that was dived for, I don't like that. I can't celebrate that. I can't be happy with points gained through that. So to think that something wider could be happening within the game um, is greatly concerning. And it comes back to me that if you, you look deep at why people love sport and what it really um, appeals to within us, is it, it's human endurance, isn't it, essentially? It's, it's watching people do things, or certainly for me, as somebody who is hopeless at every form of sport, um, it, it's watching people do things that are awe-inspiring because you can't do them or the vast majority of other people can't do them. And watching that in competition with other people of um, who can do that job but have different skill sets and all that kind of stuff, that's a, a great part of the appeal of sport in general. And again, for me as football is the sport that I love most, um, it, it's a great part, like, when you really get down to it, that's why I love sport. I love seeing human triumph, and unfortunately, the other side of that is the human failure for people who weren't quite good enough. Um, it's compelling. And to think that any of that is being artificially tampered with by people who are cheating to get an edge, um, it, it really, really concerns me. And so I suppose to a point, um, I make a conscious decision to maybe willful ignorance um, and naivety on my part because I just don't want to believe that it happens. But I realise that um, that's probably too positive a way of looking at it and the kind of things that, force, that, that tempt people in other sports um, have probably tempted footballers and doctors and medics and all the people associated with clubs that could influence results in this way. Um, why wouldn't some of them have been tempted? Why would football be different?
Yeah, my my main concern is somebody that lived through the uh, steroid scandal in baseball is that the last confirmed test and suspension happened in 2005, which is much scarier than if we had had a few since then, mm-hmm. which means that the testing is at least working in some way. Because the problem we're in now is it is white and black. There is no gray area. Either there's literally none, or there's loads and the tests aren't doing anything to prevent it. Mm. Because otherwise we'd see more tests. We'd see more like, oh, two or three players a year. It sucks that they're doing it. But that would mean that there was a lack of that culture that's so poisoned baseball, where (laughs) it was more a question of who wasn't doing it than who was. And mm. you're saying, like, you don't want your victory to be tainted, but pretty much everybody from that era's argument was, so was everyone else. And everyone was angry with it, but just kind of accepted that. Um, but yeah, that's that's my concern, is that there haven't been more positive tests. Because for me, that means either it's not working, or it is working and everybody legitimately isn't taking it in the one sport uh, that we happen to be covering. Dan? I'd, I'd never even thought of it in those terms, and it makes so much sense. It's a really good point. Yeah, I I, it's, I only have that just because we watched it through baseball. Nobody was failing tests yeah. at all. And you saw these people getting super huge all of a sudden. This this is the way I've always explained it. If you're a British listener, you can just tune out for like two minutes. Barry just Bonds. Barry Bonds' head. Exactly. Barry Bonds yeah. was a pirate before he was a San Francisco Giant. When Barry Bonds played for the Pirates, he was a 20-20, 30-30 kind of player. He had power and speed. The second he showed up in San Francisco... His entire body was twice as big, and he was a 60-plus homer, zero-steal guy. He had power, power, power. More power. power. It doesn't matter how fast you run when you get to walk around the bases because you've knocked it out of the state. (laughs) But that's the example I always point to. For anybody that's doubting what I'm talking about, Google Barry Bonds Pirates, and then Google Barry Bonds Giants, and just look at the two face pictures. Don't even look at the body. Just look at the difference in his face and tell me not only he... Yeah, then tell me not only he, but that tons of baseball players were taking steroids. And nobody was failing the tests. And then they they tightened the test up, they caught a couple of the suppliers, and then all of a sudden everybody was failing tests. And then everybody hated baseball for a few years, and it's just now recovering. This is why I included the what would you like to see done about it. Because I think that there is doping in football. I, I think it's very unlikely this is the one place it isn't happening. But I don't want to see the same destruction of the game the way I saw with baseball, where all of a sudden none of my friends cared anymore. I don't know how to handle that transition in an easier way, but in some ways you have to flush it all out to, to start the game over fresh. But anyway, Dan, what's your take on this? Uh, I think there's probably doping in football. Um, I don't remember if it was on or off air at the last podcast I was on. We at least half jokingly, half not said it to uh, Jim Knight because that Leicester's players were doping because it's like, Conte, we decided, again, this is half joking, half not, but like Conte was supposed to be out for six weeks and came back like the next Saturday. Yeah, Vardy had his um, broken wrist. He missed our match at the weekend, but played on like the Tuesday. Yeah, Mares <laughs> pinged his hamstring and it was okay 15 minutes later. Um, Kasper Schmeichel was, I mean, that's less, that's more of a joke because people went and accused him of PEDs on Twitter and he started blocking everybody. But like, <laughs> To be fair, uh, there were different kinds of performance-enhancing drugs. Because when yeah. you first said that, my first thought was, well then, how do you explain Ken Griffey Jr., who, by the way, I know is everybody's darling, and they think he was the one that wasn't doing it, but he snapped his femur. Do you know how much muscle torque would be required to snap a femur naturally? Insane. 
It's not possible. In steroids, the people that were taking the, the straight anabolic steroids, once you got hurt, you, you messed something bad. And you were out for a long time. But there are things like the blood spinning, which I know ABB has spoken yeah, about. That's we what, did. I was by, uh, like doping instead of performance enhancers. Yeah. Because they, I don't think there's an actual difference. But when you think when you think doping, you think like cycling. When you think steroids, you think baseball. Yeah, which is like the difference between the whole blood spinners and the um, high like injections. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was like someone who uh, he's a British person who on my Twitter he does no knowledge of steroids. He's like, how do you even work? I'm like injury prevention. That's injury prevention. That's well, how yeah, it works. Like the thing that just happened with Maria Sharapova. What that yeah. did is it increases recovery time because it increases the amount of oxygenation in the blood. Yeah, so it's... something like that would be perfect for and football. As far it's as a lot of heavy running over long periods of yeah, time. Yeah, it's, it's pure. It's not like – because that's what everyone – when everyone thinks steroids, you think get big, like Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. stuff. It's That's not all there is. There's plenty of other stuff that can make you run longer, run fast, run faster. And Which get you back see in track from, all the time. Quicker. Yeah. Uh, uh, a person that went to my high school and I actually ran track with very briefly, Tyson Gay. Oh, um, that's a biggie. Yeah, got caught doping. And yep. Yeah, yeah and then um, a... Arson Wenger, actually just as an Arson fan, Arson Wenger has been on this forever because I don't know if you guys do know, but he had this whole deal back when he was manager of Monaco. Um, he had the whole Marseille scandal. Um, and he, he truly unless he's been doing a very good acting job for his entire career since then, he truly, truly hates doping. He absolutely despises it. He's on um, UEFA and FIFA all the time. Like, you should improve your tests. You can easily get past these tests. There are other tests out there. Why aren't you using these? Which is why I'd like to at least have some amount of belief that maybe that a very limited amount, if any Arsenal players are doping, because he truly... I. I genuinely believe. And also, if, they are, if Leicester have found a way a to get back going. from injuries quickly, yeah, Arsenal definitely aren't using that. That's yeah. That's the, <laughs> the joke. Answer is look at all of our injuries. But the, like the serious answer is if anyone's doping at Arsenal, Arsene Wenger doesn't know about it because he genuinely despises mm. it more than anything in the sport, more than Jose Mourinho. Yeah, um, and, and there yeah. there is an interesting aspect to this which we aren't touching on, which were the anabolic steroids that were being used in the states were illegal. Things like blood spinning are wholly legal and are used in non-sports healing processes, but are they gaining an advantage through it? We don't we don't have time to get into the legality of the situation, but there's our quick take on uh, doping in football, and hopefully I'm wrong and it isn't there. Um, but I guess we'll we'll probably start finding out soon because, like, like I said, the first one, like you guys mentioned, didn't sound crazy earth-shattering the way the title made it sound. But now the Swedish doctor accusing a Swedish player of having bulked up way too much when he was at Juventus. We're probably going to start seeing more and more of these because, like, there were no positive tests. There were no stories about this for quite some time. And I think now that, like, you've seen a little light being shown and maybe you just saw a little something on the edge of that circle of light, now you're going to start looking at it with a broader lens and, and maybe more will be found. Um, very quickly, unfortunately, we don't have time to do player watch, but we will preview... Our upcoming matches. We'll start off with Dan. You will be visiting West Ham. What do you see happening in this one? Um, I see. Uh, I see lots of singing of that one song back and forth between mm. the fans. The the song that Arsenal fans stole from West Ham and got them real riled about. Um, I see every time Dimitri Payet does something, West Ham fans will 
yell at the Arsenal fans and every time Ozil does something, vice versa. And I just see banter. But um, for the actual result, I'm thinking a draw, but any result is genuinely possible. It, I have no idea. We've looked much better in the last two or three weeks, but those ten, those have been against bad teams, like a Watford team that didn't show up and an Everton team that is bad. Um, so it'll be interesting Martin to see how out. we do. That's the official view of this podcast, by the way. Yeah, I very much back that. I, even, other than the fact that it's funny, yeah, no, he should go um, from an objective view. Yeah, so I, I, it'll be interesting to see how we do. Um, if I have to put money on it, I think I'd say draw, but I'll say win because I'm an Arsenal fan, so woo. Yep, that is how that works. Yep. <laughs> Richard, you're going to be welcoming West Brom to the Etihad. I assume you're going to be looking at this positively, although you do have two massive fixtures on either side. You did already play PSG with the return leg after this one. Yeah, um, I think it, it will create um, an interesting squad selection for Pellegrini. Um, the, the thing that we um, that is really against us, but we surely have to turn around at some point, um, we still haven't won back-to-back league games since October. That's six whole wow. months of Premier League football <laughs> without winning back-to-back league games, which is ridiculous. And that's we shouldn't... completely ridiculous. I didn't realize yeah. that was still a thing. We shouldn't be in... Oh, that's funny. I think last time I was on with you, Dan, I made the mistake of... I stupidly said we hadn't won back-to-back league games all season, which wasn't something I thought. It was just like a, a little... Yeah, slipper. no, you said it, then immediately corrected it, because it, yeah. it was like, um, what about the first five? But no, well, yeah, since then. Yeah, now it actually feels like that's true. It feels like we haven't won back-to-back games for like a decade, because it's just one of those things that has now become a truism. We don't win back-to-back league games. Given that we had the chance in March to well we didn't have the chance we did play Aston Villa and Norwich back to back Uh, I don't know what greater invitation you can have to reverse that record um, but we couldn't do it having De Bruyne back um, may well help with that but this is where we get onto the rotation issue with PSG coming up on Tuesday De Bruyne looks fit but he's been having um, he's not completed either of the two games that he's been brought back into Um, Pellegrini will presumably although finishing in the top four is imperative um, he may he's likely to favour the PSG game for the big hitters the the, the real star players so I wouldn't be surprised maybe to see Nasri who is also back from injury Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be handed a start uh, because he is no longer eligible for the Champions League um, when he was injured um, and we had to re-declare, uh, resubmit our squad. Ian Acho took Nasri's place in the squad because um, because of Nasri's injury. So he isn't registered with the Champions League. So it would make sense for him to step in for De Bruyne, maybe even for Silva. Um, but that will force a bit of rotation. Um, I'm not quite sure where Yaya Torre is up to with his injury. Um, but... It would make sense to bring him in if uh, if he's fit. And then, although Pellegrini won't do it, that would allow him to play Fernando and Fernandinho again, who, although um, I, I'm still annoyed at Fernando's mistake, he did actually have a good game. Um, and we've put in some good European performances without Torre. So although I don't think Pellegrini would start a European game without him... Um, I would consider that a, a wise move. Um, and then maybe the fullbacks will be rotated because they're pretty interchangeable. Uh, West Brom fall into the same category that Bournemouth fell into last season. Uh, sorry, last week. Um, don't quite know how they're going to see the game. 
Um, are they already on the beach because they're as good as staying up? Or will they see it as a potential scalp because there's no pressure on them, but there is on City? Um, it actually gets to a point where I don't think there's a way you can logically predict uh, a team's mentality ahead of a game like this because it, it varies so wildly between teams and between seasons once it gets to this stage of the season. Um, and based I, on last week's performance, they are not on the beach. Like they went well, full Pulis against Sunderland last week. Hmm. They went full Pulis. Yeah, true enough. Um, but it's you never quite know how they will view this game because it's a game that they start of the season. If they don't look at, at this and think it's three points, if you're exactly. Right. If they're looking yeah. at the points they need to stay up, they probably put a big black line through playing City and don't worry too much about it. Um, and so, how they'll view this game, I'm not quite sure. Um, we actually have a decent record against Pulis teams at home. We've we've written them to shreds a few times. Um, so I would back City to win this one. I'm feeling more positive than I've felt at any point since around September. Um, so I, I will, I'll predict a City win. Um, I hope there are a few squad changes and we've got a good enough squad to, to rotate and not be too diminished by it. Um, and, and Nasri coming back just makes sense because he's, he's got a part to play towards the end of the season. We've missed him greatly and more than a lot of people realise. Um, so bringing him back in now and giving us the chance to rotate De Bruyne uh, back out would, in my eyes, make perfect sense. So for the fantasy players out there, more likely to be sat silver or De Bruyne? More likely to be uh, to be on the bench, I yeah. would say De Bruyne. All right. I know a lot of people were looking at him to bring him in for the double that's coming up, so cautious well, words there. I know nothing. I mean, I realize it doesn't affect my prediction, but I, I know nothing about fantasy league. So Don't worry I'm not- about it. I just took care of it. I, I'm not willing to take any hits on that if if I've done people out of points. <laughs> That's why I said more likely. Not what's going to happen. Um, on a totally different note, are you sure Sam and Nasri's are allowed to play with that hair? Like, come on. <laughs> he looks like sh- he looks like the uh, uh, oh man. Now I forgot his name from the um, X Men movie, Quicksilver. Uh, as I mean, I, I might maybe say this, and maybe my judgment is impaired by the fact that despite only being 27, um, I, I am rapidly losing my hair. I am jealous of Nasri's hair. And maybe my view is slightly contorted by the fact that I can't do anything with mine because there's very little of it. But I, I'm a big fan of... You could die at silver. <laughs> I'm a big fan of, um, of of what he does. He's He had it blue at one point during his injury, which I quite enjoyed. Actually, I forgot... I. I was thinking that he was still blonde. I forgot he changed to silver because yeah. the blonde is worse. The silver's better than the blonde. It's still not good, is it? but it's better than the blonde. <laughs> By the way, the two major follicularly based uh, controversies at Tottenham, both Sandro and Danny Rose having red hair at different oh, points. Yeah, why did uh, that happen? The Sandro one, he just dyed the size red, got lots of flack for it, and dyed it blue by our first game, uh, which I think was against QPR, funnily enough. Uh, and then last year, Rose with red hair on the final day of the season everybody freaked out and then his defense was it was meant to be purple and then not nearly enough people asked why was it meant to be purple <laughs> <laughs> but sure whatever um last match here tottenham versus manchester united uh not super confident i think this is probably going to be a 1-1 um if we could eke out a win we're still quote-unquote in the title chase, which I don't think we are. I said we needed four points from Liverpool and United coming into it to be in it still. That's a big one. If we if we beat United, I, I would be very confident of saying that we will automatically be in next year's Champions League. Time will only tell. If Vertonghen's back, it could cause issues because he probably wouldn't be up to pace facing the likes of Martial and Rashford, who I guess we now have to heap in the good players pile. 
Um, <laughs> I'm, still, I'm, not, I'm not convinced yet, even if he did score two against us. But so. he looks good on the ball. He really does. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that that could be a concern, their pace against us. The other big concern, Eric Dyer, if he gets a yellow from now to the end of the season, he misses two matches, which would be a massive Ooh, blow for us really considering big, Ben Taleb is injured really big for quite deal. some time. It, it very much is a very that's big a deal. That's a really, really big deal. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and we don't have Ben Taleb either, which means we're playing either Mason or Carroll next to Dembele. And which sounds... Mason offers passing and some physicality. Tom Carroll is a basically a, a cone that just... <laughs> he's like, a, if you guys have ever gone to like a batting cage or a tennis where they have the machine where it just launches the ball at you but stays yeah. still. <laughs> That's pretty much what Tom Carroll is. But unlike Pirlo who does that and does it well, he does it poorly. But, but Yeah, plus he also has... He, like, I think every system he played for the last like three years of his career, he had two people on the other side of him that, could, that ran, did all his work. Yeah. And that is absolutely not the case now. Um, so anyway, yeah, those are those are the big stories for us. Like I said, I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw. All right, and with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Yeah, um, as I said earlier, I can be found at typicalcity.org. Um, I write two articles a week specifically about City for Yahoo Sport UK. And I am also on the Blue Moon podcast, which is a dedicated Manchester City podcast uh, released every Friday um, and uh, I can be found at uh, twitter.com slash Richard the Burns yeah I'm, Dan. I'm still Dan I'm still an Arsenal fan and you can still catch me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits thanks for having me on yeah and I am your host Kevin DeVries at Kevroff on Twitter you can find my writings over at eaglesbeak.com and playtalker.com those are both fantasy related uh, you can also check out our fantasy podcast the FPL Roundtable which goes up on Thursdays and is on this very channel. All right, thanks so much, guys, for joining us. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.